right, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to uh, Get Smarter and Make Stuff podcast. Today is Friday, May 21st in 2021. And I am really happy to invite someone onto the show today that I knew from the minute I sort of conceived the show, you know, you talk about uh, getting smarter and making things that I would want to talk to this person. Um, we've worked together before. Uh, uh, we've had a lot of uh, chance to, to have conversations in long car rides and at conferences and whatnot, uh, but uh, I, th- I know he'll have super interesting things to say about our, our two questions. Um, I'm referring uh, re- at length to my friend, former coworker, um, and person I really respect, Michael Fogus. Welcome to the show, Fogus. Hi. Uh, I, I I realize you said uh, getting smarter and making stuff. I, I thought the name of this podcast was um, getting less dumb and breaking stuff. Well, as practiced by me, that is an entirely accurate statement of, of the way that this thing goes down. In fact, yeah, that's, joke, more, that's more my speed, too. <laughs> right. I've actually joked that a lot of times it feels like uh, getting dumber and breaking stuff, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll settle for getting less dumb for sure. Yeah, um, if you don't feel like you're getting dumber, then, then you're not doing it right. Yeah, so here's a great one. I, 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 I want to spend the bulk of the show talking to you, but you just... Uh, you just remind the thing that's completely driving me insane right now. So I have uh, this thing I'm doing that requires that I have uh, two pulleys that are connected by a belt and they're what are called synchronous pulleys. They're um, GT2, they're toothed pulleys and the belt has teeth in it. Mm-hmm. And one of the pulleys has 36 teeth and the other one has 24 teeth. That's it's an intentionally in a three to two relationship. And what I'm finding right now is that if I like disconnect it from everything and just slowly rotate one of the pulleys by hand, that they rotate in a relationship that is more like 16 to 11 than 3 to 2, which, if you think about it a little bit, is basically impossible. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> right? seems like an odd ratio. Then. Yeah. So anyway, so I mean, I'll have, I, I don't know, I, I might wind up doing, I've been doing a video about this, a video series about this thing called the electronic lead screw. And I might have more to say about this sometime, but, but, but definitely just the reason I mentioned is because that is making me feel a really stupid right now, looking at it and going, I cannot understand how it seems to not be slipping and yet not engaging in a three to two relationship. It seems like it would have to do that. So yeah, yeah. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Um, so, I mean, like I said, you were one of the people that I had in mind right off the bat. You know, actually, I have quite a lengthy list of people that I was uh, thinking of talking to, but you were very high up on it, which is why you were here appearing as oh, whatever this is, show number six or something like that. Um, um, and so, I, I mean, I think I've mentioned this to you, but I'll just say it again. You know, we really only have two questions on the show with a bonus one at the end. And the two questions are something along the lines of what are you making and what are you learning or what have you made and what have you learned or how do you, you know, what do you think about making and learning? And so, you know, I, again, I think you have really interesting things to say about that. Um, although I'm sure you'll demur in your usual focus, um, humble uh, way. But I, I wonder whether I could steer us towards um, one of those questions in particular to start with. Um, I'm sure we'll hit on both. We always do. But I am actually really interested to, to reverse the usual order and ask you the question, what are you learning? Like what, what is it? Cause you, I think you have a really interesting, um, really disciplined approach, a really thorough approach, an approach that I, you know, would like to emulate around how you acquire new knowledge. Like you're always reading, for instance. So I'm just kind of really curious to hear if there's anything that you are learning or have learned recently, or maybe not recently that, that caught your fancy that you want to talk about. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, um, you mentioned that I, I I have a discipline around this, and and I do to some degree, but but when I step back and think about it, it, it it's mostly just following whatever my fancy is for any given moment. Uh, but uh, the, the the number of things that I tend to be interested in are are um, I, I found uh, are are very small, and and the the way that they intersect. Uh, is is really where I like to like to live and, and where I'm learning things, you know. Uh, so uh, you know, interested in technology and uh, philosophy. In, in, in fact, that's that's really where my focus has been lately. But uh, the arts and 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 you know, just the simple act of, of playing, right? And 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 so when I, when I think about what I'm going to learn. 
uh, I, I, I tend to gravitate towards things that really kind of hit one or more of those things at once. Uh, and so lately, uh, in, in fact, I was driven by uh, reading this, this great book uh, by uh, Tricia Rose. It's called uh, Black Noise. Uh, it has a subtitle, too. I, I can't remember it. And, and, and in, in it, she talks about uh, uh, hip-hop and, and rap and, and the, the, the genesis of these things. And, and, uh, and she really looks at it from a philosophical bent. You know, what, what, what does it mean and, and what's driving uh, hip-hop and rap and, and what, what were the motivating factors throughout uh, its history? And, and that philosophical bent really appealed to me and so i, I kind of looked for uh, other things along that line and and so i i came upon uh this focus of study uh that people are really uh engaging in and, and, and earning phds and it's called metal studies have you heard of metal studies <laughs> i i think the only re reason i have is because you you tweeted about it and i happened to see your tweet um, I have to say though, I am not even remotely surprised. It is a, it is a. Anyway, I'll let you. I'll let you talk more about it. It's, it certainly sounds interesting. Well, well, metal studies not, definitely not speaking of metallurgy, <laughs> right? But, uh, right. Heavy metal uh, studies, and 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 the reason that I, I find this fascinating is for well, one, uh, I, I never really got into metal deeply you know i i hit the fringes and i had certainly have favorite bands and well that's interesting to me because you were in a punk band and, <laughs> i was right and the relationship between uh punk and metal is i mean there's a lot of um there's a lot of deep similarities i think everything from the the sort of attitude right like at least the um i don't know traditional is the word but but there's been a strong current in metal and you know lyrics and and the culture and whatnot of like independence from authority. And of course there's the fact that the music is fast and relies a lot on, mm -hmm. um, you know, heavy percussion and, and, um, you know, distortion, et cetera, et cetera. So in fact, I was at a concert one time and, uh, there was a couple older guys there older than me, uh, at the time it was a while back and they were commenting on how the things that people call metal now, they would have called punk not that long before that. Hmm. Anyway, that, so that, sorry, but you were talking about metal and I just, it just strikes me as interesting to hear you say that you weren't that into metal given how into punk you, what I mean, they're, they're different things and certainly one can be into one without being into the other. So didn't mean to jump on you there. No, no, not, not at all. And, and, and I think that as I get into this more, I think that there, there are more, uh, similarities than, than I had ever realized. Mm. Um, well, interestingly, the, the, the reason that I heard about metal studies is uh, through uh, a podcast interview with uh, someone named David Burke, who is a uh, professor at Bath, uh, Bath University, Bath Spa University. I, I can't remember that. Okay. Uh, and he, he was, really riveting a uh, riveting interview to listen to and and uh he touches on this a little bit and and i think that uh one one big difference between uh well historically anyway uh, between metal and punk is that uh their, their focus of uh the, the, well the focus of their music and their lyrics and and whereas punk historically was uh more politically focused mm -hmm. uh metal was was and, and and typically is more focused on uh death and finitude and 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 the like mm -hmm. yeah it is more individual i think yeah and 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 that that focus on death is very often uh reflected upon the artists themselves and you know they they ponder their own deaths and uh, the the death of the universe and and, and so uh, you know th this uh, stepping back a second I I was I started in university at uh, as a philosophy and math major and somewhere along the that path I 
diverged and, and went into computer science instead. Sure. Uh, and so a lot of what I know about philosophy is maybe a freshman, sophomore, and junior level of understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a lot of it doesn't have uh, a grounding in more modern philosophy and uh, uh, current thinking. And so uh, looking at the, the landscape of, of philosophy and, and wanting to get back into uh, researching that or, or, or just learning more about it, it's, it's so vast and uh, frankly just daunting to look at the wall of ideas of the the great ideas in the history of humankind and 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 try to make something of that and try to take a run at it and and make sense of it and uh so looking what what david burke's uh perspective was is that uh he could we we could use uh heavy metal music as sort of a a lens to view philosophy and so that that kind of appealed to me because uh, it gives me one uh, a view of more uh, recent ideas, and and it it lets me uh, trim down the the possible things that I could look into, which which is important because uh, this is definitely I'm not doing this as a as as a graduate study. It's it's sort of for fun, and so uh, trying to learn both music and uh, philosophy at the same time using this as as the lens to 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 do it with huh that you you yeah that's super interesting i i have to say if i was to pick amongst my friends the person who was most likely to say i want to learn philosophy and i'm going to do it through the lens of metal i somehow that's you <laughs> <laughs> somehow that's you uh, so that's super interesting. How's it going? I mean, have you are you deep into this yet, or are you like just getting started, or wh- where are you at with it all? No. So when I when I first tweeted about it, it was maybe I don't know a month ago, perhaps. So I'm I'm a month into it, and and really what I'm what I'm where I'm at right now is building a a, a list of, of avenues to to explore. Uh, Downloading uh, music from from Amazon uh, and and listening to it, uh, listening to perspectives on this stuff, and and kind of reading uh, a, a survey or two of the landscape to, to try to get a better idea of where I can go with this. And and right now I'm reading a book that's uh, called uh, "In What Is It In the Dust of This World" by uh, an author. Name. <laughs> by an author named Eugene Thacker. And uh, the subtitle is uh, Horror of Philosophy. And and it's, it's, it's a different, you know, it, it's not the philosophy of horror as mm-hmm. in, you know, horror movies and, and horrible ideas and horrible things, but more of uh, this idea that the universe doesn't, care about us and in fact is probably uh open is is hostile towards human life uh and framing that within uh the perspective of uh horror movies and horror literature weird fiction and uh heavy metal music interesting so the the, the if i have this if I, i'm going to guess but I, it sounds like the the premise there is that um the increasing realization the advance the advancement understanding of the universe leads to a sort of reaction in society that gives rise to things like horror movies things i mean the apocalyptic stuff like zombie movies and and the themes in the various genres of metal because of course you you talked about death and of course that brings to mind death metal which is its own family of subgenres since metal Mm -hmm. is endlessly subdivided into micro genres but there are plenty of genres that are little or less at least less to do with um with death but there's plenty of that as well so is that is that the basic idea though that like as we sort of figure out um you know how the universe works it's leading us to go huh (laughs) and then write a lot of horror is that the idea yeah i i think that that i think i i haven't i certainly haven't finished the book yet i'm about three quarters of the way through but i think that's where he's leading i think that um 
he's uh, trying to uh, explain uh, this this uh, this feeling of bleakness in in the products uh, that that stem from it. Mm. I don't. I don't know what the. I don't know what the punchline is. I don't. Sure. It's only volume one, so I still have two volumes to go. So I don't think I'll come to an answer in this one. Okay, no worries. Um, I, I, I saw so actually a a reader of the blog, possibly a listener to this podcast, but uh, someone who was um on the Get Smarter Make Stuff uh, website uh, suggested to me a video series. Who's I'm going to look it up actually while I'm sitting here. Uh, it is called Awakening. The series is called Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, and mm. it's a lecture series by a professor, I believe, of philosophy. But um, it sounds like the kind of thing you might want to add to your queue. I'll mention it because um, I've been really enjoying it. It was, like I said, um, uh, recommended to me by a by a, a, a you know one of the community here. Um, and essentially, I'm not done with it either. But um, he's been going through and talking about how. Kind of in modern society, there is a gravitation towards certain things. So, for instance, um, you know, meditation would be one example, right? Like that's mm-hmm. a thing that is becoming more and more popular. Um, and uh, he relates it to this thing called the meaning crisis. Like, what does it mean? Like, what does what does life mean? Um, and, but he takes it all the way back to the uh, the upper paleolithic, paleolithic transition, which is you know this part in our history. It's prehistory where there was a change in the way that we organize society. And there's a, another change, uh, you know, around 800 BC. And then uh, there was another change around the time that we invented money and the impact that these various things had on human cognition. Um, you know, things like, I, I'm, I'm like spraying all this, these terms. It's actually well-structured, mm-hmm. but it like mm-hmm. ties all these things together, including things like, um, shamanism like the notion that the historically the shaman's job was to re- reach altered states of consciousness through things like fasting or um meditation or you know ritual that that involved a lot of repetition so that you could yeah that's right psychedelics as well so that you could uh solve problems that could not be solved with the more conscious part of your brain to reach an altered state of consciousness uh, it's super interesting. It's a little bit aside from what you seem to be pursuing, but it feels like uh, it's not entirely disjoint. You might like it. Well, it, it sounds interesting. And, and, and based on your description, it sounds like there may be something in there that it, it helped me help me along my journey. Yeah. So I, I, I've already forgotten the title, but I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. It's called Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, but I'll, I'll shoot you a link and it'll it'll be there. Cool. Cool. Um, so sorry. So yeah, so this is really interesting. Your journey, you mentioned the, the, uh, you mentioned that book. I, 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 and you mentioned a little bit about what you've found there. I, I guess I'm wondering, well, a couple things really. One is the specific, like, have you so far, um, had any realizations or come to any conclusions or had things pointed out to you that you were especially pleased with or found surprising or that resonated with you? Like any sort of Oh wow! This journey has already kind of paid off because now I know X. Well, yeah, I, I think that that's happening all the all of the time because, uh, as I mentioned, my 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 background in the in the philosophy angle here is is weak to, at best, and so uh, I'm the, the whole branch of uh, existentialism uh, slash nihilism uh, in, in philosophy is is black box to me and so this is really opening up that whole uh that whole sub category of philosophy to me and and as i mentioned uh i'm it turned out that it turns out that i i like metal more than i thought i would <laughs> any favorites uh, so far that you you know like new favorites something you can counter that you really like uh well i I'm I'm a relative new, but one that I really really enjoy uh, is uh, a band called uh, Nile. Have you heard of Nile? I'm not sure. I, I I listen to a lot of music kind of on um, random shuffle. I actually have mm-hmm. this playlist that I highly recommend. Um, it's not my playlist. It's a playlist on Spotify called The Sound of Everything, which mm-hmm. contains one song from every genre that Spotify has. So it's about 
1200 songs and it's everything from you might get a love ballad in spanish and then a podcast and then there's a lot of metal obviously since it's a bunch of those genres anyway yeah. so point being i have i don't i can't recall that band in particular but uh given that my spotify favorites filled up when i hit fifty thousand, there's a good chance i've heard them at least once <laughs> Oh, well, they were the ones that came on and were really uh, fast tempo and uh, uh, growling screams. Oh, thanks. That? Thanks for narrowing that down <laughs> for me. I appreciate that. Yeah. No, uh, the, the thing that I find interesting about them, and, and I've now talked about all of this, uh, this nihilistic bent, uh, is that they don't, they don't seem to do that at all. In fact, uh, almost all of their music uh, and, and is written... Uh, telling stories about ancient Egypt. Mm. And I, I don't know, I, I find that really kind of fascinating. Uh, you know, <laughs> that, that's, that's another uh, topic that I, I know very little about. So, so maybe that's another path for another day. Yeah, I've, I've only, so I've, only, I've kind of um, come across ancient Egypt a, a couple times in my own various studies recently. And one of the interesting things that gets pointed out in the awakening from the meaning crisis is that the the entire society exists before um, at least one of these cognitive transitions we've had. And so, so one of the things he points out is um, that if you read stories from before about, I want to say, 800 AD, they don't resonate, right? Like they don't, they're not stories that you would, that you would find in like modern times. They're just, they're just fundamentally different uh, in some way. And I'm going to do a very poor job of describing this. Um, and then after after this point in time, and it feels like it might be later than 800 AD, the stories that you find are actually ones that you can relate to, right? You know, the stuff that's going down in 200 AD or whatever, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's the kind of story that somebody might write in modernity. Um, and uh, ancient Egypt entirely, obviously exists entirely in that period right? Like the, the whole thing. And even to the point where like the writing system is, is quite different to other systems that come after. Anyway, so I find that it, it, to me, it's a complete black box. I know, I know almost nothing about it, but the notion that um, you had this vast empire that existed for, I believe, thousands of years. Yes. Yeah. As far as I, I, I believe so. Yeah. Right. So like way longer than um, certainly any of the modern, um, you know, nation states, you know, China lays claim to 4,000 years of civilization. So on that order, perhaps. Right. But like that, it's all, it's all in this world where it was actually not just a different uh, uh, landscape uh, from the standpoint of, you know, technology or whatever, but actually possibly cognitively different, like people like fundamentally thought in a different way than, than people even from the, you know, the, you know, the Roman era, for instance. Mm -hmm. Anyway, super interesting. Yeah. So ancient Egypt in the music, cool stuff. Um, so, so, I mean, that's awesome. I, I think what you're talking about, <laughs> I was just thinking to myself today, yet again, uh, I have a 10 gallon agenda that fits into a, <laughs> you know, two microliter schedule. Right. Yeah. Um, and this, not to mix my units, isn't it great to be an American where I can talk about liters and gallons in the same sense? Um, uh, so, but, I, but I'm actually also, I mean, and so that's super interesting. I'm also curious though, to hear about, um, not just the interesting things you've come across, but also your, your process on learning. Like when, so you sat, you sat down and said, I have this goal to learn about the intersection of heavy metal and philosophy. And like, I, I think I know you well enough to know that you probably had a go-to way of doing that. And, and I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. Like, I mean, obviously you, you've mentioned a couple of books and whatnot, but do you have like a larger plan or framework or, you know, set of techniques that you're like, I'm going to use this and that's definitely going to help me get where I'm going. Yeah, I, Besides note taking, uh, you know, nothing, nothing really jumps to mind. I, I want to clarify that I, I, I am interested in the intersection between metal and, and philosophy, uh, but uh, I, I, I would probably say that the, the metal side of it is uh, is a way of focusing 
my uh my my bigger gotcha uh, goal of of learning more filling in the holes in my understanding of philosophy gotcha uh and it's a it's a nice distraction right it, it, it allows me to uh discover two things at once right sure yeah well constraints are good right we've we've i know you and i've had that conversation before where you know Constraints are helpful in, in, in creativity and mm -hmm. I guess in discovery and whatever. So, yeah. okay. That makes sense. Thanks for explaining. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's all about lenses for me. I, I, I like to uh, view things through the lens of something else. And so a lot, a lot of the, 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 the coding projects that I'm interested in tend to be uh, take a language and m make it, do something else that doesn't really uh, it, it doesn't do by default, hmm. and, and so that's that's why I've, I've always been drawn to Lisp languages because you know it's the ultimate uh, clay. <laughs> sure, you can you can turn it into whatever you want, and so when, when whenever I'm studying, I'm, I'm trying to accomplish more than one thing at a time. So I, I have these these things that I draw and I, and, and these Venn diagrams. Uh, I think I think you might have seen yes. one or two of them. And so I'm always trying to think of what what really interests me or what I really want to work on. And so uh, you know the the, the larger bubbles themselves are, are interesting, and I'm I'm into things that fall into those larger bubbles. But I'm, I'm always compulsively drawn to the intersections. Why is that? Is that so that you can just like, get more done? In other words, you're learning about metal and you're learning about philosophy. I'm yay. I'm advancing on, <laughs> on two fronts or is it, is it that it's an intersection or is it something along the lines of like, historically there've been super interesting um, advancements that have been made when multidisciplinary convergences happen or what, what is it about that, that, um, that draws you to that? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely the, the last thing that you said. I, mm. I think that, um, that the convergence of two different viewpoints, two or more different viewpoints, uh, is where you want to live. That's, that's, uh, that's where interesting things happen. I mean, obviously, there's, um, there's pure mathematics, right? And, and, and a lot of, uh, there's a lot of interesting things happening in pure mathematics, but for me, it's it's more interesting when mathematics uh, is coupled with something else, like computing or uh, brain science, right? Mm -hmm. And and that that actually leads me into something else that I've been really kind of interested in along this philosophy path is mm -hmm. that going back and looking at uh, the works of Alan Turing and oh yeah and and viewing him not exclusively as a mathematician or uh, uh, the progenitor of computer science, but as, as a philosopher. And, and that's been, that's been fascinating to me because I, I up until recently, I, I, I had a, a storybook understanding of Alan Turing and his work. And, and I don't know, I, I don't claim to be an expert. I don't claim to, uh, say that I fully understand uh, his his works and his impact, but I, I now realize that I know less than I thought I did. And that's valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Getting smarter is part of it is realizing <laughs> that you're not as smart as you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious though, say more about that. I mean, I think a lot of our listeners are, um, you know, have some experience with or are in the, in the, some engaged in software in some sense. So may have some awareness of Turing. I, my understanding is certainly well down the end of the, you know, um, spectrum that you were just alluding to. Right? In other words, I don't know very much about, about Turing. So when you say viewing him as a philosopher, can you say more about what, what his philosophy was or how his works are philosophic in nature? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll try my best. Uh, I, I think that Turing is is fascinating because uh, almost everything that he did or thought of 
was cross-discipline in some way. And mm. so uh, he, he's famous. Uh, well, I mean, he's famous for many things, but there's a few things that stand out. And, and one is his work at Bleckley Park uh, decoding uh, German uh, codes in World mm-hmm. War II, right? Yeah. And so uh, you can you can think about that as a purely mathematical problem, which uh, you know he was he was a genius, a mathematical genius of the, of the highest order, and so he was equipped to do that. But I think in order to properly break codes, the the, the way that he did is to also view it as a psychology problem, a psychological problem, mm. and that is. What is it about these codes that allows them to be breakable? Because a human created them and uh, devised the way that these uh, messages are encoded. Interesting. And so there's something in, in the nature of the human that created these codes that allows him to then go and find the weaknesses in the code and break Mm-hmm. So psychology is an attack vector, essentially. I, I think so. I think so. Uh, and and I, uh, I, I, I find that fascinating, right? Because we're as a programmer myself, uh, it's it's really really easy to get lost in uh, the bits, right? Oh yeah, and it's it's hard to remember and to uh, synthesize the idea that uh, coding is just one aspect of a psychological problem. Yes, totally. Yeah, and in fact, even the whole idea of code, right? Like, you know, in software, we're obsessed with writing code. We're obsessed with the activity of of typing in code and what and what language you, I mean, to the point where you ask someone, what do you do? Oh, I'm a JavaScript programmer. That's what I am, right? Mm-hmm. But the computer does not care about JavaScript. The computer does not care about closure. The computer does not care about C. Like all of those things are for humans, right? Like, I mean, I, and I suppose there are interpreted languages, but even there, it's not fundamentally anything but a mechanism that is intended for people to read and write. Um, and very importantly to read, right? Like, in fact, um, I think uh, I've worked with a number of great engineers in my time um, and the really good ones are separated from the, the merely good by their ability to know that, uh, software engineering is almost exclusively a team sport, right? Mm-hmm. That like, if you do a great thing, which is funny cause it's really counter to the prevailing stereotype, right? Which is the, the lone young white male programmer, you know, alone by themselves, like doing great things with a computer. And of course, it's not that at all, right? Like a lot of us are not young. Uh, an unfortunately, small number of us are not white or male, but that, you know, they're certainly present. Um, and when we work, we're working with other people, like in- intensely working with other people. And, and even if you write something by yourself, ultimately someone else is going to consume it. That, that person might be you six months from now, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And right. that person is a different person. But uh, yeah, sorry to kind of uh, go off on a, on a tear there, but I just something that I feel in very strong agreement with you on. Yeah, I, I, I think that you, you, you've got it. I think you understand it, and, and I couldn't agree more. And, yeah, and this, is, Go ahead. This, this is why I find Turing so fascinating, because he does bridge these different disciplines. Super and, interesting. And, and so let, let's stick with Turing for, for mm-hmm. one more thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so another... Uh, uh, an, another thing that he's famous for is devising the uh, the, the Turing test, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, uh, briefly, the Turing test is uh, uh, the idea that you, if you can develop a program, an artificial intelligence that can, uh, given no information but uh, questions posed to it, uh, can appear. Uh, to uh, an, an observer as being a human, right? That, that, that a human is answering these questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talked about that in a uh, paper, or maybe it was an article, I don't remember, but it's called uh, 
computing machinery and intelligence, and he devised the Turing test. Uh, but before that, he wrote a paper called uh, On Computable Numbers with Applications to the, this is where my German is really going to fail me here, Entscheidungsproblem. And the Entscheidungsproblem was a, was a famous uh, logical proposition that how do we uh, decide if a logical proposition can be solved at all, mm-hmm. right? And uh, how that applies, how he applied that to uh, computing science is by devising the, the, the Turing machine. And the Turing machine is this, this, uh, uh, this logical, uh, this, this operator that works on a tape, infinitely long tape of instructions and can execute them uh, in, and, uh, and solve problems, right? Mm-hmm. And so why he created the, the Turing machine was to uh, say, well, if, the, if a problem can be encoded in this, uh, using in an algorithm uh, that can run on the Turing machine, then it's a decidable problem. It's the Entscheidung problem uh, applied to computing science. And so if, if you can devise that algorithm, then it's a decidable problem. But then he took it another level uh, on top of that and said, well, is there a machine that you can devise that given any program can decide if, it, it's, if it's going to halt? And what halt means is, uh, will it come to a solution, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the halting problem is, is uh, and, and ultimately, he 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 used this uh, Turing machine and some logical inferences to come to the idea that no, there is no machine that can do that, because even if you had a machine that you could feed a program in and its inputs and it said yes, it does halt or no, it does not halt, you can further augment that machine by saying when it does halt. Uh, just go into an infinite loop, and uh, otherwise, if it doesn't halt, uh, then uh, you just uh, you just say that it, it doesn't halt, mm-hmm. and then you encapsulate that all into its own machine, and then feed in that program with itself as its arguments, <laughs> and then you you achieve some kind of contradiction. It's really, really yeah. mind-bending stuff. No, I mean, and, and obvious, so this is great. I, I, I am now seeing um, all of this in a philosophic light. Like, obviously, these types of questions are highly philosophical in nature. And, uh, but, and, yet, and yet, they also um, apply, right? Like, there is, uh, like, this stuff does come up in computer science and not just in, like, in class. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is super interesting, man. You know, I mean, it's, it's so funny. Like the more you learn, the the more you realize you don't know, right? Like now I want to go spend a month learning about <laughs> Turing and metal and, and, and ancient Egypt and. <laughs> and then this is, and, and just Turing because he bridges so many disciplines like this. Uh, it, it's, it's such a huge rabbit hole. And, and, yeah. and even, even his, his own life in itself is, unbelievably interesting right uh and 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 a tragedy really yes absolutely a tragedy of the 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 deepest darkest sort yeah what's the movie uh i think it's uh the enigma no no the the uh the Something minds uh, is that it? Anyway, no, no. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. You know the one I'm talking about, and um, I, I, there's a great movie. Anybody that wants to know about Turing's life in a easy to digest way, I would encourage them to. It won't make you an expert, but it, it definitely shines a light on some of his accomplishments and challenges. The Imitation Game. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it was a good movie. That that's a that's a one of the headings in his uh, computing machinery paper, I believe. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dude, Ugh. we need to talk more often. Um, <laughs> I get smarter just listening to what you're working on. 
Um, I, I, I don't want to cut you off. Like, this is super interesting. I, I did kind of have in my mind that I would ask you about stuff you're making, but I, I feel like maybe we should just come back to that in another show sometime. Um, I know you kind of demurred when I was talking to you about that uh, before we, you know, scheduled this, but for instance, you have a habit of making games, which I think is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but maybe we have more to say about, um, like, I'm not trying to close the conversation down. Maybe you have more to say about, um, about getting smarter and we should stay there. I kind of going to leave it up to you. Like I, I know you'll be interesting either way. What should we talk? What should we, should we change over or should we keep going on this front or what do you think? Well, let, let's, let's do both at the same time. That kind Perfect. of fits the theme, yes. right? <laughs> yeah. That fits the theme completely. Absolutely. So when, when you, when you originally reached out to me and asked me if I would do this, I thought, well, I, I don't know what I create, but that got me down thinking, you know, what is, what is creation itself, right? What is, what's the act of creation? And, and I know we could go off on this for a long as, time. But as one does whenever somebody asks <laughs> that, hey, what are you making lately? Hmm. Let me think about the nature <laughs> of creation. This is why I wanted you on the show, folks. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I, I thought, what would be, if, if I could create anything, what would be the, ideal thing for me to want to create and i think i came to an answer i think give me a second all right all right go ahead i think i'm ready i think for me the ultimate creation is a a highly influential nothing and what 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 i mean by that is Uh uh-huh uh what are some of the most influential things that were never created, right? And, and a couple, like let's say, Jodorowsky's Dune, right? Uh, Philip K. Dick's The Owl in Daylight, uh, Bush's Memex, Alan okay. Kay's Dyna Book, right? Okay, okay, and, yep. And, and and even you know even uh, Turing's Machine, right? Sure. These are all things that. Were never artifacts, but to this day, influence the course of history, influence people's lives, what they spend their passions on, what they spend their mind space on, and that to me would be the ideal creation—a a, a, a nothing that drives people crazy. <laughs> the Fogus construct, the Fogus <laughs> conundrum. The Fogus Mystique. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm naming metal bands now, I think. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, they could be. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what that is. I haven't thought of it yet. But uh, maybe, maybe I'll, keep, I'll keep pushing on that. The Fogus Paradox. I think that might have to be it. The Fogus Paradox. Well, now yeah. I need, just need to uh, work backwards from That's the name. That's right. Well, like we said, constraints are good, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, crazy interesting, actually. So is this an actual goal of yours now? I, I mean, are you? I know that you're a little bit joking, right? A little bit, but I can't actually tell how much. It, I, I there is a little bit of tongue in cheek there, but uh, having created uh, software systems that mm-hmm. require constant attention and and <laughs> maintenance and uh, catering. Uh, is not the game that I want to be in <laughs> mm-hmm. right now. Uh, in fact, if, if I could, if I'm thinking about something that I am creating and someone out there in the world wants it or finds it useful, then I've got to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> okay, interesting. So it, it, there is a seriousness to it. And, and so... The, the, the apex of the ideal is how can I get away with creating nothing that, that, that is highly influential? I, I still need to work on that. There's a, there's a level of meta here that makes it obvious to me a number of things. First of all, why you were drawn to philosophy and math, right? Because both of those activities um, are sort of self-referential, sort of circularly, not circular, but like there's a sort of spiral, spiraling of abstraction, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, Hochstetler spoke at Strange Loop 
uh, one year and I was there. And I think you might have been there as the, the same one. Were you there for that? I, I did. I, I wasn't able to see that talk. However. Uh, sure, the talk is online. I'll link it in the show notes. The thing that he said that, that really struck me was he was talking about his journey um, through math as a mathematician, you know, at the PhD level. And he talked about hitting his abstraction ceiling, which I thought was, it really, really took me aback to hear Doug Hochschiller talk about essentially getting to a point where he's not smart enough to go any further. Right. Because of course he's, you know, brilliant. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this idea that there is a limit, but that it's quite different for different people. um, I find just really humbling and fascinating. Like I've, you know, I've been really fortunate in my career to work with some incredible engineers who have done things that I think I'm probably not capable of, which is okay. I'm good at other things. Um, but it's just, it's just interesting, uh, to run into that. And this, this notion of Hochstellers that there's an abstraction ceiling Mm -hmm. and your abstraction ceiling, um, I I will say is higher than mine, at least for, um, (laughs) at least for a lot of things, I think, which is, uh, a compliment. I like to think mine is reasonably high, but yours is, yours is high. And so I, I, I feel like that, you know, you're coming at this in a direction that kind of just makes sense to me, which is, you know the meta right because that's really useful right abstractions are super powerful when you can Mm -hmm. see two things as being the same thing like it's incredibly enabling like a lot of a lot of you know a lot of my advancement in the art of software engineering has been about you know overcoming my inability to perceive certain abstractions at various stages throughout my career so I, i all i guess i'm trying to say is uh, from way down here, it feels like you're on the right track with that, right? Because like if you are, <laughs> if you're going at it from that direction, then then if it works, it's going to be a powerful technique for getting you there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't know. I hope a, so. Yeah. Otherwise, I've wasted a whole bunch of time. Uh, maybe. I mean, that's another thing I've, I've talked about on the show before, which is, you know, the sign on my shop door that says slow. I think I've mentioned it every mm-hmm. episode now, right? Mm-hmm. And the notion there being that... Um, the pursuit is worthy, right? Like the actual pursuit is worthy. You know, even if, even if I'm all I make is a pile of slag or sawdust or, or whatever, that that's not, you know, I mean, obviously one wants to work in an effective way, right? Like it's not good to walk into my shop and then just randomly set something on fire for no purpose. That's not useful, but like that the activity itself is, is worthwhile, is worth doing, has a positive effect even if it's just in, you know, occupying that moment in a way that is somehow aesthetically pleasing. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? No, it, it, it does. And I, I would love to get a sign like that and, 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 and just meditate on it. it, it, it it's so great. I'll make it slow. One. Yeah. I, I would love that. Okay, cool. That. I'll put it on the project list. Should be done <laughs> about 3022, the year 3022. <laughs> Well, that that will be about the same time that I've I've come up with this uh, this paradox. Perfect. It'll be a great gift for your your launch party. Because <laughs> I mean, at that point, slow will seem incredibly appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um. Well, you know, we we I, I I know we could go on for another hour, but I do like to have mercy on the listeners' ears. Um. It might be a good point here to sort of. Uh, flip over to our final question. But I, before I do that, I always like to make sure that I ask the guests and say, you know, and leave room for, you know, closing down any things that, that we need to close down or, or stuff that hasn't been mentioned that would be great to mention. So um, before we go to our final question, Vogus, is there anything else we should, you, you know, get through before we take it there? No, I think, I think if we, if I bring up any more topics, we might just uh, go down another rabbit hole. So yeah, totally. Ask away. Okay, Ask cool. Away. Yeah, yeah. So our final question, as always, is the one I stole from your company's show, the one I used to host, um, which is the question about advice. So I always ask the our guests for a, a piece of advice, which could be anything. It could be advice you were given or advice that you think should be given or advice that you like to give, anything at all, really. What's a, just what a good piece of advice from you for our listeners? Sure. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know who might be listening to this, but I think the advice I'll give is is one that I'll give to my younger self, and maybe maybe that'll help. Uh, and that is, 
the old koan that says, uh, if you encounter Buddha on the road, kill the Buddha. <laughs> I will definitely have to think about that one a bunch because I, I, I clearly do not grok, but that does not mean I don't like it. I like it a lot. Um, it's going to make me think just like talking to you always makes me think in a really good way. Um, even if we're just chatting, uh, which, um, just one of the reasons that I regret not making more time to do that. So we'll have to do that, but we will draw, I think this conversation to a close. Um, dude, thank you so much for, you know, sitting down to talk to me, like really just absolutely fascinatingly interesting stuff. We absolutely have to have you back on because um, I want to talk more about some of the things that you've made, but also to, you know, find out how you're doing on your journey towards enlightenment or additional enlightenment. Um, so I'll we'll have to have you back on. But thanks so much for coming on today and having this conversation with me. It was a true pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. Absolutely. All right. Well. You have been listening to Get Smarter and Make Stuff. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Visit the show online at GetSmarterAndMakeStuff.com. That's all spelled out, all one word. Go there to subscribe to and comment on the show, read the blog, view the gallery, and find a link to the Get Smarter and Make Stuff YouTube channel. Come on by. We're also on Twitter at MakeSmartStuff. If you enjoyed the show and feel like sharing with others you think might like it too, I'd certainly appreciate it. Thanks for listening and see you next time.